to meet you and get to know you as well. All right, that's all I got for announcements. We are still in Hebrews. It's been a while. And we are finishing chapter 12 today before we break for a little Advent series that we're going to do. And chapter 12, especially the end of chapter 12, is a really powerful piece of scripture um, because it's, it's really a sermon that got turned into a letter. And you can hear the love and the care in this preacher's voice as he comes to the end of his sermon. And this really, this part today is really kind of his final impassioned cry to his people to try and encourage them to keep going and to remind them of all that they have in the new covenant and in Jesus. And so um, I hope you feel that this morning. I hope it's, we're covering a lot of scripture too. So you're not going to have all your questions answered. Probably you'll have more than when you came in and that's okay. That's good. But I want us to really get the essence of what this preacher is trying to communicate to his people because it's something I think that God wants us to hear and to kind of let soak into our souls. So let's go to his word this morning. We are in Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 29. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to immeasurable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, 
But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that, are, that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Please pray with me. Father, we, we have thoughts that are way too small of who you are. And so, Lord, as we read your word this morning and are reminded of your holiness, God, I ask that we would be driven into this story, that we would be driven into the audience of this sermon, of this letter, and that we would locate ourselves here. And as we do that, Lord, we would see your son sitting at the center of it, that we would come to know him in a new way, that we would receive him as our Lord and as our Savior here this morning. Lord, we praise that you still speak to us, that you give us everything that we need to come near to you. And so, Lord, help us do that here this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two mountains. Two mountains controls the metaphor that we are kind of thrust into the middle of in this section. You have Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And go back all the way to verse 1 of chapter 12, where it says, run the race that is set before you. So the picture is that we are running a race and that we're going towards a mountain. But there's two mountains. And in order for us to really understand what this means, we have to understand how mountains functioned in the life of the Israelites in the Hebrew culture. What did they think about mountains? Because they're different than what we think about mountains. We see mountains, and maybe you think, oh, I want to go up to that mountain. Or maybe you think, hmm, I'd rather be on a beach. We don't have a lot of depth when we think about mountains, but mountains for Israel had a ton of significance because it was a symbol of a meeting place with God. And if you think about it, it just makes sense, right? You're going up towards the heavens and on the top of the mountains is kind of where the overlap of the heavenly realm came down and touched earth. And so a mountain was a meeting place with God. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, all of us are on a journey. We are running a race, and at the end of the race, we meet God. And there's two ways to meet God. Only two. No matter who you are, there are only two ways to meet God. You can meet him at Mount Sinai, which is symbolic of meeting God on your own with the holiness and righteousness of his law coming to bear on your life. 
or you can meet him on Mount Zion. And the images that we are given help to make the picture come alive, but they're still strange to us. And so I want to do something this morning. Um, I want to inject a character into this race from Scripture to help us understand what the difference is, why this matters. Not only why it matters, but why it's the only thing that actually matters. Which mountain are you going to? And the character that I want to inject into this race comes from John 8, and it's a woman who is caught in adultery by the community. Interesting that the woman is caught, but you can't commit adultery by yourself. So where is the coward? (laughs) He's hiding. He's scared. And he lets her take the fall for it. And she's caught in the community, and the religious leaders, the community leaders, they're bringing the law to bear on her sin. And so they pick up stones, and they surround her. In her moment of most profound shame and distress, she's greeted by a crowd holding stones, waiting to kill her. Why? Because that's what the law says, that anyone who commits adultery should be stoned. And so when you, when you put her into this, you can see what happens. You can see that there is this journey of life that we're all on, and we all have sin. We all have things that we don't want to be exposed in front of a holy God. Because we know that at the end of the day, we can try and minimize it as much as we want, but all sin leads to death. And so going on to Mount Sinai is going towards a death sentence. And as we go, and we carry this, we're not, humans aren't necessarily consciously aware of this weight. But, and we process it, and we try and kind of like um, project it in different ways. But it's something that all people can identify as a burden of life. Something that is weighing us down that is causing us to have drooping hands and weak knees. And even just the idea of going up to a mountain, you get tired, and there's a fatigue that sets in. But if you're going up to a mountain where you are going to be confronted with the law, how much more tired are you going to be? And so as the, as the preacher goes into this description of Mount Sinai, he describes it as a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, and a tempest. And this is just a picture of when Israel received the law at Mount Sinai. It's a visual description of what was actually happening. 
And all of the people kind of stood back and they realized we can't go up there. We can't go on. And even Moses, the representative, trembles with fear. He knows that on that mountain, there's condemnation. There's no covering. There's no protection. And so this woman who's caught in adultery is facing that. She's facing that. But then something happens in that narrative. The religious leaders say, hey, there's this guy, Jesus, who's been teaching with authority. Let's see what he has to say about this. And so they bring him over and they say, Jesus, this woman is caught in adultery and the law says that we should put her to death by stoning. What do you think? And you can just imagine the, the woman's experience of that. She probably would have anticipated an increase in judgment. Because someone with even more authority, more prestige, is now here and brought into her shame. And so she's just waiting to be further condemned. And he says to the leaders and to everybody there, says, okay, he who has, the, who has no sin can cast the first stone. And one by one, the people put down their rocks and they walk away. And only Jesus is left. The one without sin. The, the only holy person in that entire sequence, in that entire story. The only one who had the right to pick up a stone and crush her. And instead, he tells this woman, woman, look at me. She looks up. Who else is here? She says, no one. Everybody's gone. Who is here to condemn you? Nobody. And so the first thing he does is he places her back into the human community. Because what had just happened was she had been pulled out of her community. She had been identified as a sinner who deserved to be stoned and put to death, isolated, judged and condemned by all of these people. And now he's saying, no one can do that except for me. I'm the only one here. All of those people have their own sin. I don't have any sin. And then he says the words that are the most confounding words to her. He says, and neither do I condemn you. And that this is what it feels like. This is the difference of coming to Mount Zion. You've come to Mount Zion, city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels there. And they're not in war garments. They're in festal garments. They are there to celebrate And to the assembly, 
the gathering, the joyous gathering of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven to the people of God and to God. God's there. He's the judge of all. He remains the judge of all. He doesn't stop judging. We don't want that. We'll get there in a minute. He's still the judge of all, but keep reading. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. All of those who have been made perfect are there. And Jesus is there. The mediator of a new covenant. To the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's Mount Zion. That is how you and I can meet God on top of a mountain. We can meet him there or we can meet him in Mount Sinai. Those are the only two options. And the power of what Jesus says in his statement to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. It's not just Like, oh, I'm waving a magic wand. No, it's because of his sprinkled blood that he can say that. He can say, neither do I condemn you because I faced your condemnation. I went to the mountain. I went to Sinai. I faced the law for you. And the blood that I pour out voluntarily, my blood symbolizing his death, Him being crucified, his innocent blood being poured out onto the ground, he then compares to Abel's blood. And if you remember Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel. Abel was innocent, and Cain killed him. And the blood of Abel cried out to the ground. What did it cry out? It cried out, murderer, evil. It cried out for justice. It cried out for vengeance on sin and wickedness. But Jesus' blood, it cries out with a better word. Because the blood that Jesus, or the word that Jesus' blood cries out, it doesn't do away with justice, it satisfies justice. And then it speaks mercy. It speaks forgiveness. It speaks grace. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is an experience that every human soul longs for. We long to be met with the perfect judge who sees everything and to receive his forgiveness. And I want us all to be able to go into the shoes of that woman caught in adultery because Jesus has already identified us with her. We can't pick up the stone. We're with her, deserving of condemnation. 
And I want us to do that because it's only when you personally are able to identify your sin as deserving condemnation in front of the law that you will ever receive Mount Zion. And this is actually the whole point of what this preacher is trying to communicate This is what brings peace with everyone. This is what brings holiness. It's Jesus. And so when he's saying strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, he's not creating a new law for us to follow. He's not doing that. Don't you see this? Mount Zion came to you first in the incarnation of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And it came to us by this announcement of the gospel, this good news saying that all of this has happened for you, that Jesus has done this for you. It's a little taste of Mount Zion that interrupted human history And is now offered to us. And when we we see that, when we see and experience and trust and receive that little piece of Mount Zion in our lives, it's power. This is what will help you keep going. This is what lifts your drooping hands, strengthens your weak knees. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that your life isn't going to be without trouble or without struggle. But what it means is that the gospel tells you to fly and then it gives you wings, as the old song says. It says, here is something that's completely unattainable, and now you can attain it. And it's a gift. The power of the Christian life is this beauty of our interaction with our Savior. When we know him and know that he is the judge of all who does not condemn us, but forgives us. Do you remember what Jesus did? The first thing he did when he came up to that crowd. He gets down and he starts writing. Now I'm going to speculate. This isn't in the Bible. But he's writing something. So what's he writing? I like to think that he's writing his verdict like a judge would. And he's writing his verdict. And as he's kind of directing traffic in this interaction... He's writing something like grace or forgiveness or mercy in the dirt so that this woman can see it. Because she might be too scared to look up, but she can see it. And that's how the gospel comes to us. It comes to us in our humility. It comes to us in our brokenness, and then it lifts us up. And that's what Jesus did to her. After he shows her that he's not going to condemn her, he puts her back on the right path. He says, go, 
and sin no more. So the road to Mount Zion, it's not as if now, oh, we get to do whatever we want. That's, you haven't really interacted with Mount Zion then. The road to Mount Zion is marked by a thirst, a hunger for more of the grace that you have just received. And it's all about Jesus. The footsteps of our march on this path to Mount Zion are faith and repentance. Because in faith and repentance, we see Christ freshly every day. Faith is just trusting, continuing to trust that Jesus is who he said he is and what he has done is for you. And repentance is just leaving. It's leaving everything else and pursuing Christ. It's turning towards him. It's orienting everything in your life. It is making straight paths for your feet. So you're leaving and you are directing your whole life to Christ. And we need each other to do that. This is a picture, and notice this. You have come to Mount Zion. Where do we come to Mount Zion? We come to Mount Zion in the church with his people. What we do as the gathered church is expressed in ways that are too big for us to comprehend. We just don't believe that this is actually what happens in church. But this is what happens when we gather together, when we make these straight paths for our feet, when we sit under the word of God as it reveals Jesus to us. Together, we are joined by angels. Looking in at this Gathering, rejoicing over the salvation of sinners. We are joined by all of the faithful who have gone before. As they join us in our confession, in our song, in our sacrament. And we experience a glimmer of our future. And it is still future. We have come and we are going to Mount Zion. And the best thing about it, and where I want us to resolve chapter 12 today, is that when we come there, God is there. And particularly, he is there in his son, in Christ. Physically. The one who died for us, lives for us. And because we belong to him, as we learned in the Heidelberg Catechism, that happens through our, this aspect of adoption, of trusting in Jesus, it makes us his brothers. It makes us represented by him. And so we can know that where he is, there we will be. And he is on this mountain. And there's no trembling It's rejoicing. And that's a beautiful thing to hold to when everything else is being shaken. And it is being shaken. This last paragraph reminds us that 
judgment is coming to this world because God is good. And he will not let anything that threatens his creation remain forever. But there is a day where not only the earth, but also the heavens. In other words, there will be a day of even greater judgment than what Israel experienced at Sinai will come to this world. And everything that is temporary will be removed. Everything that is temporary is everything that has been touched by sin. Every little bit of impurity, everything that threatens the beauty and the goodness of God's creation and of his purpose in creation is going to be destroyed. God is a consuming fire. And I, I bet that you've probably always read that and been a little troubled by it. And I, I get that. But in the context of this greater picture, this is like the best news that we could ever hope for. Because what it means, the fact that God is a consuming fire, he consumes evil. He consumes all that creates the sin and the burden of this life. He destroys it. He shakes it and burns it up. And it's gone. But we remain. All of Jesus' people cannot be shaken. Because we have been made kings through him of this new kingdom. And we have received that kingdom. That's what it means. It's our inheritance as his people. He gives us this kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so how do we respond to that? We offer God acceptable worship. We continue to come to him. We offer our lives to him to serve. And that is all that chapter 13 is about. So we're going to talk about that in the new year. We're going to talk about what it actually means to offer to God ourselves for acceptable worship and the practicality of how to live that out. And we give thanks to God. And so this is Thanksgiving week. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to, hopefully that the power of God's grace has confronted you this morning. And it's helping you. No matter where you're at, no matter what in your life is being shaken, it's helping you to keep going, to continue to find and seek Christ, to keep walking on the path of faith and repentance towards him. And so I want you to allow the power of that to give your gratitude some direction because this is going to be a week where it's very um, you know, socially acceptable to use the term gratitude or thankful. And sometimes it can get weird if people just say, I'm really grateful for this. It's like, oh, whoa. 
It's not Thanksgiving, but this is a week where we can do that. And so allow the power of God's grace to help you aim your gratitude towards Jesus. Because he is the one who has given us this. He is the one who was given to us. He is the one who brought this mountain down to us in our lowest valley. And he's the one that sustains us and will see us at the end of all things with him, safe and secure, receiving an imperishable kingdom forever. Let's give him thanks now in prayer. Father, we thank you. Lord, as we, your people, come this morning and are just again reminded of how good you are. Lord, your kindness and your mercy and your goodness, they give us power, Lord. They help us. And this is, this is what we need. We need to be reminded again and again that you have secured for us Mount Zion. And so, Lord, in so many ways, we get distracted and we get pulled away from that. We start to get um, just numb to it. And so we start to live according to the law. We start to live as if we don't need your son to relate to you. And so God, use your word to pull us back. Let us hear your voice that is calling us back, calling us on, calling us further up. And God, we ask that your spirit would give us all the strength that we need to continue to walk. And we know that you will hear and answer that prayer. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.